So not too long ago, I held this workshop at WPPI where I gave my top 30 creative strategies to get photography clients as fast as possible without paid ads. And it killed it. It sold out. It was incredible. I've been sitting on it for a little while and I've decided to bring it back, to bring it back and to give it directly to you. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to pay anything either. I just want to help you grow your business each day for three days. I'm going to share with you 10 ultra unique creative ways to attract dream clients to your photography business without spending a bunch of money. I'm calling this thing the three day client blitz and it is pure gold for three days. I'm going to give you so many creative ideas to get clients in your business right now. Just go to sixfigurephotography.com forward slash blitz six S I X six figure your photography.com forward slash blitz b l i t z i can't wait to give you some incredible ideas you're listening to the six figure photography podcast with ben hartley where you get the positive energy you need to help you grow your business your relationships and your mindset if you need the show notes or want to check out the latest blog post visit sixfigurephotography.com Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Six Figure Photography Podcast. My name is Ben Hartley. I uh, really appreciate you being here today. The purpose of this podcast is for me to get the whole intro in one breath. <laughs> no, I digress. The purpose of the podcast is to help you grow your business. That's what we're here for. And um, uh, sometimes we have the opportunity to do this with other photographers, with other creatives. Other times it's people outside of the industry that have decided to come in and, and to teach us a little bit of something that they've learned in a whole other market segment. And uh, it's a really exciting space. And so thank you for taking the time to invest into yourself and into this incredible career that we have the opportunity to do. Now, as you're listening to the podcast today, that's awesome. I want to invite you to take this one step further because this is great. You get, you get the audio experience. I have a mastermind group of photographers. There's 16,000 photographers in that space. And this podcast episode right now is secretly being broadcast as a video where you can see myself and David Duchemin uh, early in that, uh, in that group. And so if you go over to benhartley.com, forward slash mastermind. It'll uh, drop you right into that community. It's a free space. And it's where I hang out literally every day of the week, answering questions and producing more video content to help you guys grow. So again, benhartley.com forward slash mastermind. It's free. I would love to see you there. I would love to get a chance to connect in a little bit more of a meaningful way. Because right now I have no clue who's listening. I don't know who you are. Uh, but I'm glad you're here. You guys, today, I've already mentioned it. We have David Duchemin. Uh, man, sometimes I get I get a guest on the show and, and the introduction will go a little something like this. Um, you know, Jim is a photographer in Michigan. Welcome him to the show. <laughs> and that's great. It's, it's awesome. I love it. And then I got David's bio and I was like, oh man, okay, here we go. This is He's, he's got like a career, you guys. David, he is a world and humanitarian assignment photographer. He's a best-selling author. He's a digital publisher. He's a fellow podcaster. Check out his podcast, A Beautiful Anarchy. He's an international workshop leader. He's based out in Vancouver Island, Canada. Uh, when he's home, his life is spent chasing compelling, uh, I'm sorry, chasing compelling images on all seven continents, all seven I need to, I need to get out more on all seven continents and teaching others to see, 
photograph and get the most out of this astonishing life. I love that last line, David. Good for you, man. I love it. David, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks, Ben. I'm so good, man. So are, right now, are you out in Canada? I am. I'm, uh, I'm on, uh, in beautiful Nanus Bay, British Columbia, which is uh, on the east coast of Vancouver Island, just a stone's throw away from uh, the city of Vancouver, just across the water. Okay, fantastic. Um, I was curious how, um, how for you, you know, I know that right now Canada is still in the lockdown situation, correct? Like you aren't allowed to leave. Is that, is that still correct? Some, some of the larger cities are, are locked down. Um, we on Vancouver Island have been really lucky, you know, like when the zombie apocalypse happens, you want to be on an Island. Is that true? Uh, same, same thing, same thing here. So we, our numbers have actually been, uh, been okay. Um, I mean, you know, it's still serious, uh, but, um, you know, we live kind of out in the, <laughs> we live in kind of middle of nowhere. I don't even know if Nanus is, Nanus Bay is like, if we're a town, a village, a hamlet, uh, <laughs> a, a loose smattering of, uh, of homes. I don't actually know what we are, but so we're kind of, you know, we live on a little one acre, little, little piece of land in, in paradise. And I don't know, you know, I, I think the experience of, of living through the pandemic, if I were still downtown Vancouver, it would be very different than yeah. what it is here. You know, my day-to-day, -day, except for the fact that I'm not getting on planes anymore, my day-to-day -day hasn't really changed. I'm still doing the same things, you know, and, and sort of kind of living the same life with fewer restaurants and trips to sure. you know, Venice in between. Sure. Well, well, yeah, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll connect why I asked that question, but um, first I'd like to start with even for myself, gaining a little bit of a better understanding of what this terminology means, but also maybe for the audience as well. When I did, when I introduced you, uh, I introduced you as a world and humanitarian assignment photographer. Can you help uh, me just understand a little bit more of like, well, what does that mean? What does that look like uh, as, as a photographic career? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people choose, <clears throat> excuse me, and in their branding, they, they choose words that really help people understand what they are. I just went into the dictionary, picked some stuff, just threw them at the page, um, just to, to be really intriguing. It's all about the intrigue for me. Absolutely. Um, it's the... I, you know, when I, when I was trying to, uh, I don't like the word define, but when I was trying to differentiate myself from all the other photographers out there, I wanted some kind of handle and I didn't want it to be the same as everyone else's handle. Mm. And what I photograph primarily is travel photography, but I, I object to the term travel photography because it's not about traveling. It's about, you know, the world and mm. places. Uh, and it was humanitarian photography. And I have done uh, less of that now, but 10 years ago I had an accident that kind of, I shattered both my feet and it, it um, changed my mobility status. Mm. Uh, so I still, I still do that sort of thing. Um, but for uh, a long time, the, the way that I made my income was assignment work for non-governmental organizations, NGOs, uh, in the development world. So I would go for two to three weeks to sub-Saharan Africa or Southeast mm. Asia, and I would create photographs for these organizations to help them tell their story. So when these organizations are saying, you know, send us 50 bucks to help change the life of a child or a community, there were photographs that would uh, help tell that narrative and say, this is what hope looks like in this community. Mm -hmm. So I was not a documentary photographer. I was certainly not a photojournalist. 
I was going in with a pretty biased perspective of this is what hope looks like in this community. This is what change looks like. Mm -hmm. So I was photographing, you know, kids with goats and families, you know, at the village well and telling stories of um, certainly of need, but kind of the other side of need, the, the part that says this is what it looks like after you've given the money. These are the people that you're uh, donations are affecting. This is the joy that it's bringing. This is the, you know, the economic freedom that it's bringing hmm. those kinds of things. So world and humanitarian photographer um, kind of gave me a, a handy label or handle. Yeah. Uh, it's becoming a little less applicable now as I'm doing a little less humanitarian work. I'm doing a little more um, personal assignment work. I'm doing a lot of underwater work. So the, the focus is changing a little bit, but the idea of hope, the, um, you know, the sort of the adventure of the whole thing is still mm -hmm. front and foremost to my, to my brand and what I represent to my audience. It makes a lot of sense now that you're, you're explaining it. I'm like, okay, I get it. And it's, it's very, it's very focused up. It's very niche, but I understand how you're not, you're, you're, man, you've really carved out a very interesting space. It's like, yeah, you're not photojournalistic. It's not just going to document. You're looking to actually tell a very specific story and, in, and invoke a certain uh, response from the audience and an emotional response. I mean, it's not travel. I get the, also the resistance to like, well, this isn't travel photography. I'm not just like living my best life, just like trying to, you know, sell plane tickets and, and, uh, and a pipe dream. It's, it's your, there's, there's the humanitarian side of it. Um, you know, when I get a chance to, uh, well, I look at the I look at the market of photography, uh, and I look at the one that I'm probably most attuned to. And where I spend a lot of my time is working face to face with portrait photographers, newborn family, babies, boudoir, senior, uh, wedding photographers in the event space, bar mitzvahs, all that kind of stuff. Right. So I'm spending a lot of time there. And, um, and so I get really excited when I come across another photographer who has made a career outside of that B2C space. And now you're working B2B and you're doing this assignment work. And I'd love to hear from you of A, um, why you, 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 well, maybe I'm not sure the order of operations. You'll have to help me out, David. It's like, how did you discover this? how did you find yourself here? And then like, why did you stay here? Why didn't you go to, to the other stuff? Well, that's a good question. So, um, I, here's, here is my, when I started this, now I need to backtrack. When I left college, um, I spent five years in theology college and, hmm. um, which was a questionable decision to, to my family. Uh, looking back now, it was kind of a questionable decision to me too. Um, but when I, when I left much to the horror of my alma mater, um, I went into a career in stand-up comedy. I went into 12 years of professional <laughs> full-time comedy. And uh, it was only at the end of that when it was just, it was getting old. It wasn't scratching that creative itch in the way that, you know, as, I mean, we all change, we all grow, and that, especially as younger people. Yeah. And, uh, and I had a trip, I went to Haiti for a small organization, and I went ostensibly as a comedian, because they had this idea that I would come back having seen their work, and I would use my platform. I was entertaining for audiences of average 800 to 2,500 people, yeah. seated auditoriums, large crowds. And they wanted me to use my platform to say, I've just been to Haiti. You know, we've just all been laughing and stuff, but there's some things that, you know, aren't funny. And I, they kind of had this idea of me segueing into some kind of, you know, donation drive. And, and that never happened. But the trip to Haiti to see their work did happen. And just before I left, they found out I was a photographer as well. And they said, 
could you bring your cameras and maybe make some photographs? I said, sure. And I showed up and probably within about half an hour of picking up my cameras, unpacking my gear, I was hooked. I was like, this is, these are the stories that I have been waiting to tell. You know, I'd been a photographer since I was 14. I'd, I'd avoided the, what at the time would have been a trap, you know, becoming a, photo- a professional photographer. Um, I, I would have just ended up doing things that I maybe didn't want to do or wasn't good at doing. Hmm. And suddenly I was like, this is like, this is it, man. And so I remember going home and telling everyone that would listen to me, I'm going to be a humanitarian photographer. And they were hmm. like, what's a humanitarian photographer? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> Same I question just, I had, huh? I was like, what right? and, and, and they're like, but can you make a living at this? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but I've always really liked the challenge. You know, I, if you look, if you can sell juggling to the world, you can freaking sell anything. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but it ultimately, if you can sell juggling, if you can identify why people would buy that, you can find a need to fill elsewhere. And so I very quickly made a transition back into photography, this time as a working professional. And I started, for lack of better words, selling what I do to non-governmental organizations I was selling hope. You know, a lot of these photographers, they were, you've seen them before, the pictures of little kids with distended bellies and flies around the eyes. I was like, I'm not going to photograph that. I, I refuse to uh, contribute to the ongoing kind of, you know, uh, pity me narrative. Hmm. I don't think people give sustainably out of pity. I think they do it out of compassion and love. And I wanted to be a part of telling uh, a more hopeful story. And, uh, you know, I didn't know that initially, I figured it out as I went along who I was and what I was to that audience. And, um, you know, that was kind of, that was my career for several years and slowly, uh, because I was also at the time, I was also blogging about the transition from, you know, being a comedian to being a photographer. I was, I, I transitioned right at the point where it's like, well, I had a film camera, but did I want to go digital? And. So there was all that angst about, you know, digital and the early learning uh, curve. And so I was growing an audience on my blogs and eventually, you know, I got sponsors and my audience grew and I wrote some books and my audience grew. And so tangential to all of that humanitarian stuff. Um, and I, I got paid well on a lot of my assignment work. I got paid very well. In fact, my first gig, they, took, they asked me how much I wanted and I quoted them and they said, you know, we have a budget. We can't pay you that little. We actually have to. So the negotiation got kind of flipped. They were negotiating me up and I was feeling really guilty about charging. And what a to, thing. yeah, yeah, really a, a beautiful thing. And, but, but, you know, you're not going to get rich, nor do I think should you necessarily uh, being a humanitarian photographer. So I was subsidizing that uh, for much of uh, the early time building this career, I was subsidizing it with other multiple, you know, multiple income streams, uh, stock sales, when stock sales were a thing and uh, book royalties and print sales and, you know, the whole thing, uh, the, the odd check from a sponsor. And so the audience was growing and I started sort of, it split off. I'm, I was super niche and still am when I do the assignment work, but I also became um, an educator and I, I've always loved teaching. I love teaching. Uh, but I also knew that I wanted to go super niche on that as well. And the underserved niche in teaching, in photography, was not talking about gear. It was talking about creativity, talking about vision and intent. 
And so that's where I've located myself. And, um, you know, my company, we sell, we sell eBooks, we sell digital courses, and uh, all of that was intended to sort of support my humanitarian efforts. And then, as I mentioned, I had this big accident and I couldn't do assignment work for a long time. I had to learn to walk again. And uh, those other efforts became more primary and the humanitarian stuff. Now I don't take clients. Uh, I, that's not true. I do take clients, but I only take pro bono clients, clients that I really want to collaborate with. And uh, rather than money, they give me access. They give me uh, introductions to communities I could never as an outsider get, get into. And they allow me to do the kind of work that I really want to do as a specialist, as a storyteller. And, and, and so I, you know, I retain the copyright to those images and I can do what I want with them. I don't sell them for stock, but I use them for my books and, and for my own, just, you know, that's kind of my calling. So what are that's those a long images? way of saying, you know, the, the, the whole thing has kind of been a little zigzaggy. Yeah. So, so tell me more about that. What is the work that you really want to do right now that, that these relationships are giving you access to? I, um, I photograph, this is going to sound a little artsy fartsy and weird, but I photograph otherness. Um, I photograph, yep, you're right. <laughs> right. It, it does. Yes. Uh, David Dushman's work is a postmodern exploration of the complexities of otherness. Um, that's that. And uh, anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I'm interested in other species. So encounters with, especially apex predators, uh, encounters with bears, uh, encounters with sharks, um, whales that are not apex predators per, per se, but um, big other sentient beings. I'm fascinated by that. And I'm fascinated by other cultures. So I want to be introduced. I did a long series. I'm still working on uh, with semi-nomadic pastoralists in um, in northern Kenya, so sort of the border, uh, working with them, photographing them, getting getting to know them, and visually exploring, you know, what it means. Because I think while it's so obvious to look at that as as different, hmm. um, the the fact that they are so different also emphasizes our commonalities. Hmm. So you know, pictures of people laughing. Yes, they're primitive, liter literally like Stone Age culturally, except they all have uh, cell phones. Um, it, they they still laugh at similar things. They still express love and creativity, and you know, I, we are all so much the same. And rather than those differences uh, showing us how dissimilar we are, they actually emphasize or amplify the similarities. So that's the stuff I want to explore. I want to be in cultures that are just totally different from my own with different priorities, different, mm. different beliefs, different histories, uh, different aesthetics and cultures. And then also, you know, bears and whales and dolphins and stuff, you know, because though they are different species, there is, again, there are similar, when you're, when you are like four feet away from a baby humpback whale and they're looking you in the eye and rolling on their belly and kind of reaching their pectoral fin out to, I mean, it is so otherworldly, and yet it's also not. It's an encounter with another being, hmm. and that fascinates me. And I, I want to see how I can put that into my work. And when I do, um, you know, then it becomes, of course, then there's book sales, and then there's print sales, and then there's opportunities to use those images as I teach and talk to others about the creative process, running a business. And not just making a life, but making, or not just making a living, but making a life, like really making this, we've got one crack at this, man. I, I want to 
encourage people to really go for it. You know, go, you use the words going all in. I'm like, I'm, I'm all in on all in. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm always encouraging people, you know, like double down on the, on the stuff that really matters to you. That's why I think going super niche on underserved audiences is way more powerful than just being all things to all people, because you can't communicate that. If you're trying to be everything to everyone, you're going to be nothing to no one. And yeah. Um, and so the fact that I've made a living in such a, what to some people would be a very niche, uh, audience, it's not super niche to me. It's just mine. It's just, it's the place where it all make, it all comes together and makes sense to me. I, I can't imagine doing anything else. Hmm. When you were describing those encounters, it, um, it, it brought up a, a documentary that I wanted to see if you, I'm curious if you've seen and then invite the audience to take a look at it. It's on Netflix. It's called The Octopus Teacher. I love it. I knew you were going to say that. Brilliant. Isn't it so fun? Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. it's, it's a story. Great. It'll make um, you cry like a little baby. At the end. Yeah. Uh, this gentleman who essentially ends up like finding an octopus and building a relationship with this creature, like over a series of time and, and the journey and the story that kind of unfolds. And so uh, it really well done, highly encouraged. Really well done. Yeah, it, just to, to go out and to watch that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking of when you were sharing the story of that little whale, like rolling over. Okay, so th this is awesome. Um, David, I, I wanna, you, you've chatted a bit, little bit about audience and certainly what you've done uh, over your career, I mean, is, is you've built one. You've built one as a photographer, as a humanitarian photographer, uh, creating your client base. You've built one through your um, authorship of your books. You've built one with your podcast. And and um, and so I, I want to talk more about um, building an audience outside of social media. This was something that um, before we pressed record, you you went on a nice little rant in, a, in the best way possible. Rant doesn't quite do it justice of like the importance of actually owning an audience. And um, like, like even the, you know, this title is like how to build an audience outside of social media. I, you know, why does it gotta be outside? It's 2021, man. Why do we gotta be outside of social media? Um, and so maybe we can just, before we get into the how, maybe explain a little bit more of the like, well, why, why even, why even do that? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And it's, I gotta be honest, it's one that I struggled with for a long time, uh, especially, you know, when you're going on to social media to bitch about being on social media, <laughs> you know, the, the irony is striking, uh, but where else are you going to do it? Right. Um, <laughs> it's not like your wife will listen to you. That's your, well, she's, she's Leslie's like, editing this episode, my wife edits. So uh, purely for comedic reasons, did I say that, Leslie, you are a no, fantastic listener. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so here's, here's the deal. I struggled with it for a long time. Um, and I struggled with it because I felt like I, f I still feel like social media largely discourages individuality. Um, I feel like I don't like, if you've ever seen the, um, the social dilemma, the documentary on Netflix, mm -hmm. there's a lot in there about this or the, the intentionally engineered addictive qualities of social media. Um, there's a lot about the business model. I, I don't love. But pragmatically speaking, and the, I mean, let's face it, it's distracting. Uh, we spend, I mean, I've, I quit social media uh, six months ago, hmm. just cold, not quite cold turkey, but pretty much. And I've gained almost two hours of productive, deep work back every day. I've gained like large blocks to do my best work, to do my best 
uh, engage with, with my audience off social media. And we talk about how I do that. But for a long time, my concern was, okay, but, but how? How am I going to get off social? And, uh, and I decided, well, the only way to, to learn that is to do it. But why? Um, you know, I was digging up some stats uh, yesterday, trying to find an exact number. And I, I, I couldn't. On, on the pessimistic side, uh, the stat I was getting was that on, on Facebook and the Insta, you are lucky if you get 3% of your audience seeing your content. On the optimistic side, it was 10%. Hmm. And uh, that's problematic all on its own. You know, you, you, let's say you've got 30,000 people in your, in your audience on Insta or Facebook. Most people have less than 1,000 followers. Most, you know, if you take all of who's on Instagram, most people, the large majority have less than 1,000 people. So you take from that 3% and you go, hmm, <laughs> 30 people are seeing my, no wonder you're not getting the likes that you want. No wonder you're not getting the engagement that you want. So that's one problem. And it is a problem. Even, the other even problem, on that note, just as a as a quick like real real time, I mean, Facebook pages we've historically known uh, don't work unless you advertise on them, and so now yeah. you know you produce a Facebook group. But like you know, uh, this this interview is being broadcast currently live into my Facebook group. There's sixteen thousand photographers in my group, and the, Facebook has only shown this video to three hundred and thirty one, right currently. Which is and it's and it's a live video and it's video. Okay, it's like the best type of content. It's video content. It's yep. live content. It's in a group. Sixteen thousand people. Only three hundred thirty-one have been shown that it's happening. Just as a sure. real time. That's, no, that's that's good. And you're, I mean, you're ticking all the right boxes. You're using the the technology they want you to use. You know, but ultimately, as as especially as bigger brands, Coca Cola and you know the the motor company, uh, motor car companies, as they get on. Um, they're going to be able to pay higher dollars for for content, and the little guys like us are going to get less and less market share. We're going to going to get less and less fewer eyeballs on our work. So all of that is one problem. Um, there is the problem with terms of service that you know every now and then you go onto Facebook and you see someone putting up a post saying, "I hereby notify Facebook that it can't use my restaurant. look." The terms of service said. That, that they can use your stuff for whatever they want and you posting a little caveat, you know, isn't going to change that. You are on Facebook. You've accepted their terms of service. They will use your work however they want. That can be problematic. Um, but the other thing that's to me that is more of a concern, let's say you build this big audience, you know, and they, they love what you do. They want more of what you do. Every effort to take them off of Facebook or Instagram uh, to your own platform is going to be thwarted by Facebook. The minute you say, hey, I just launched a new book, check it out over at mynewbook.com. Facebook goes, oh, no, you don't. And your organic reach goes into the toilet because they want you to stay on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So forget about you know having people download that lead magnet you spent hours working on so people could get onto your mailing list. That has become really challenging. Forget about promoting that new, hey, I'm going to be here, buy tickets at this place. All of the stuff that you might think social would be really good for and was in the beginning has now become uh, next to useless. It's become a drop in the bucket. So when I thought about all of the things, and, and it, let's face it, social has changed. What it is now is not what it once was. It used to be much more... Uh, used to be helpful to the little guy. Now, 
not so much. And even the ROI on paid ads has tanked. So um, when I look at all of the pros and all of the cons, I'm like, you know what? There's a big bad world out there of real people that are longing for the kind of stuff that uh, that we create. And I don't feel like we, as much as Facebook wants us to believe otherwise, I don't feel like we need to be tied to Facebook. Facebook cannot be the glue that holds us all together. Hmm. And so I I really believe that we need to build a platform separate from, uh, I used this analogy when we were talking earlier, Ben, but you know, putting all your eggs in one basket with, uh, with social media is like building your house on someone else's land. And you need to be, we all need to be inviting our audiences into deeper and deeper experiences with what we make and what we do and what we offer. And social is becoming a, a worse and worse platform on which to do that. So my big push is uh, there's three kinds of platforms. There's borrowed platforms, or you can call them rented platforms. That's social media. There's collaborative platforms. That's when that's this, when I get on your podcast, when I write an article for someone else's blog, when I get featured in a magazine, that's someone else introducing me to their audience an, an already very qualified audience. People that are interested in, in photography, read photography magazines. The editor puts me in that, their magazine and that audience gets introduced to me. And it's very easy to say, see more of my work at daviddusheman.com. And uh, the editor is not then going to go and you know take it out the way that Facebook kind of does. <laughs> They're not going to sort of, oh, well, he's put his URL in there. We won't ship, you know. Uh, 80% of our audience, their magazines, Mm -hmm. uh, it's not punitive the way social is. And then of course, there's, there's the platform that you own. That's your own Shopify store, your own website, your own, the thing that's, you know, your name.com. If it can go under that, you, you can build equity in that. You can own that platform and they can't take it away from you. And then the biggest, of course, is your email list. That's people saying, I want more of this and I want you to send it to me in a, in a way that, you know, when you put it on Facebook, um, there it's a platform that invites distraction. People are scrolling. So even if you get their attention, there's all these other things going on and well, you send them an email and those that want it and those that open it, I get about a 30% open rate hmm. on a mailing list of about 100,000 people. So that's 30,000 people on every second Sunday morning that open my email and read with uh, intention, you know, because they know it's going to be a sort of, you know, it's not going to be a, hey, how, it's not going to be a tweet. <laughs> it's going to be a little longer. And they can, they can immediately download the thing I uh, invite them to download. They can check out the resource I invite them to check out. They can engage with me. They can send me an email. And when you engage with email, it is a deeper engagement. When you engage with Facebook or Twitter, it's just, you know, it's a couple emojis and a, you know, and maybe a couple lines. And of course it can go deeper, but the medium sort of isn't appropriate for most of us with email. When we reply to a long email, we reply with a longer email. And so my engagement is, is massive in terms of people sending me things going, my God, you like, that last podcast episode, here's how it made me feel. And here's the backstory. And I mean, sometimes it's, it's hard. It's really challenging because you're like, wow, how do I respond to that? But I tell you what, in terms of me engaging with an audience, and I use these words, inviting them to experience more of me, that could be just something that's free. Um, I send my followers these beautiful PDF monographs of my latest work. They're the first to see my new stuff. 
Mm. Um, but sometimes there's also, there's something that there's an, an ebook or a course, and that's a way to experience more of what I do, whether it's the audience that I'm teaching or an audience that I'm just uh, sort of showing the world to through my art. The email and the platforms that we own are dollar for dollar. The ROI on those is massive. And it takes a lot more work than social. I think social has made us really lazy. You know, what's your marketing plan? I just post stuff on social. That's not a marketing plan. That's mm -hmm. uh, that's you putting money in Mark Zuckerberg's pocket. And um, and that's fine as long as it's also benefiting you. And I found that social was doing less and less of that. So I, that's a, a, a very convoluted way of answering a much shorter question. All right, Podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick pause here in order to give a thank you to the supporters of the SFP podcast, because if you're listening, it likely means that you have a small business or you know someone who does. And if this is you, you are wearing far too many hats. And some of these hats are amazing, right? Like being a photographer, but some like filing taxes, running payroll, not so great. This is where Gusto comes in. This is the solution, you guys. Gusto, G-U-S-T-O, Gusto. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small businesses. I used to be on like an old school payroll processor from like 1982, and it was terrible. Gusto now has fast, simple payroll processing. Uh, this is the really cool thing. They automatically pay and file your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Um, they make like, like W-2s, sending out 1099s, uh, incredibly easy to run. You guys, those old school clunky payroll providers, the one that I was on that I just left, uh, they just weren't built for the way that the small modern business uh, is meant to work, but Gusto is. You guys, no joke. I got really excited because I switched to Gusto before they contacted me uh, to come on as an advertiser. I'm like, this just makes sense. I actually use this thing. Um, the really cool thing too is everything is online, like the ability to sign, store, and organize all the employee documents. It's all online. It's all in one place. You guys, let Gusto wear one of your many hats. Uh, it gets better because for you podcast listeners, you get the first three months free when you run your first payroll. Try this demo out for yourself at gusto.com forward slash photo. That's gusto.com, G-U-S-T-O forward slash photo. Yeah, I think um, the, the best analogy that you stated here I'm, is building a platform on borrowed ground, you know, that's like ground that's not your own building, building this, this house that is on land that you don't own. And we've seen this historically across other platforms. I mean, we've seen how I, this is obviously going back, but like my space is no more, even just a Facebook page. There was a period of time that I put all of my energy into my business Facebook page. This was back in 2013, built up over 10,000 followers on that page. That's when your pages used to get seen and all that kind of stuff. And I was stoked about it. I had all of these people who were seeing all my posts. I built this amazing you know, house on land that wasn't mine. And then Facebook just took the whole thing away and said, nope, not, you can't. I mean, we, that's fine that you have all these things, but no one will ever see anything ever again unless you pay us. And the time will come when that'll happen to Facebook groups as well. You know, I've got this group here, 16,000 people, and there'll be a time that that'll get ripped out. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, even TikTok, I've seen photographers build up hundreds of thousands of people on TikTok. And then there, then it got taken off the app store. <laughs> and who knows the the relationship that that'll occur there? It's just it's just the risk. And so 
one thing I would say is like, I think it's a tool. I think it's a marketing tool in that moment of time. Um, but to view it as a vehicle, not as a house to view social media as a vehicle to drive people over to your house, uh, if at all possible. And to your point earlier, what you were saying is, but even that it's like, how many people are going to get in the car (laughs) to actually drive over, you know? Um, so then, so for you, as you're, as you're thinking about a photography audience, where then is that hub? Where is that home that you recommend somebody move their audience to? If they're not building it, uh, isolated on social media, like you mentioned a few different places. Is there, mm-hmm. is there like a really clear, like, you know, and I heard you really emphasize email. Is that it for you? Yeah. My, the end game on everything that I do is, uh, is I, I call my email list, my VIP room. That's where, that's where I want to push everyone to, to invite them to, um, because that's where the engagement is the best. That's where we pour the champagne and eat the caviar together and hang out. And, you know, that's where the strongest possible engagement is. That's the place where I can say, I made this for you, you know, new coffee table book, limited edition. Here it is. I made this for you. That's the place where you can issue those invitations. Your new book comes out. If you're, you know, in other industries, your new album comes out, whatever it is that you make, um, yeah. So like I said, if it can go under, basically if it can go under, you know, your name.com, uh, whether it's a Squarespace site with a blog, whether it's a WordPress site, I I'm probably one of the few people right now that's, that, uh, is pushing people to, to blog because everyone's like blogging's dead. Well, those same voices are saying emails dead. And I disagree entirely. I, I think that those voices are motivated by, um, a desire to get people onto social and it's a commercial enterprise. Hmm. Um, and I don't think that it, you're absolutely right. Social is a tool. It can be a vehicle. It can be used well, or it can be used poorly, um, but there are limits to it. Um, one of the best uses of social, frankly, we forget that people, whether you're on social, whether you're active on social or not, people are still using or can be using social to talk about you. So you can still gain from social. You don't need to be spending two hours a day uh, pouring your content into social, you can let other people do that for you. You can encourage it in your emails, on your blog, but a place where people can find you always. Let's not forget, you know, SEO, search engine optimization. I think it's like the bad, the bad comb over of marketing, but there is some value in having a strong SEO. And the best way you can do it is by having, you know, I've got a blog with 15 years of SEO built into it because I've got backlinks, I've got engagement comments, I've got all those important keywords because they are the things that I talk about, the things that I am about. And so it just makes sense to have a home base where where Google and you know the other search engines are indexing it routinely and and will when people look for you, they can always find you. They can find me at daviddushman.com. But as to you know, to your point about MySpace, um, I mean, anyone remember the recent history with Google Plus? I mean, oh, yeah. there were photographers <laughs> with millions of followers, and that was it, man. That was Google Plus was the salvation of the photographer. Well, we all know how that went. And yeah. the photographer, I'm not suggesting Google Plus wasn't uh, it, while it was in operation. I'm not suggesting it wasn't uh, beneficial, but then it disappeared. 
So the photographer that that believed that that was his platform, I'm on Google Plus, I have millions of followers. No, you don't. Google Plus has millions of followers. They're not yours until they're on your platform. And so the photographers that recognized this and went, you know, this might be around forever. It might not. Terms of service might change. Uh, you know, who knows the reasons that these things cease to be relevant. But if you use that opportunity while it is an opportunity to invite people to experience more of you and what you make on your own platform, you get to control the narrative. You get to talk to them when you want to talk to them. They can talk to you much more directly uh, in a way that's much more engaging. It's more intimate. It's a little less scalable. It's, it's hard to commit to you know, responding to a lot of emails. Um, but there are ways around that. I have an autoresponder that says, I love you. Thank you for sending me the email. It matters like you wouldn't believe to me. Um, but I get thousands of these a week and I can't respond to everything. So if I don't get back to you, just know that I love you and I'm appreciative. And people get it. They're like, oh, okay, he's totally swamped. I had no idea. you know. Um, but then you pick the ones that really you feel like this really needs a response. So the engagement, it's all... I don't know. I just, now that I'm sort of outside, now that I've stepped back and I've got some distance and I've been able to catch my breath from social, I kind of feel like it's the whole emperor's new clothes thing. I think there's a lot of busyness. There's a lot of activity, some of it very beneficial. But the question is, where can you get the most return on your investment? And I think it's probably from a, you know, maybe a 20% focus on the borrowed platforms like social and a, uh, 30% focus on getting onto those collaborative platforms, getting onto podcasts, getting into magazines, getting into the real world where the rest of the world is actually operating. Those of us in social media think that everyone's on social. They're not. Uh, it's just one tool. And then focusing the rest of your time on your own platform and getting people to there, inviting them and giving them more of what you create and engaging with them. Um, there was an article written back in, I think it was like 2008, by the then uh, editor of Wired magazine. His name's Kevin Kelly. Hmm. And uh, it's he called it a thousand true fans. And he basically posited that any artist of any kind could, if you had a thousand true fans that would buy, excuse me, if you they, they would buy a hundred dollars of what you make in a year, um, that could be a living. If you can survive on $100,000 US, which is an awful lot more than most teachers will ever make, uh, if you can survive on $100,000 US, all you need is a thousand followers. You don't need these big inflate. You don't need a million people on Instagram. You need a thousand people that are like, I, what he makes is for me, what she makes is for me, and I want more of it. If you can do that, you've got a living. And then if you can invite them to buy $200 worth of stuff, that's twice as much. If you can get 2,000 fans, that's four times as much. So the math is very pliable, but the, the hope that that premise represents is, I think, is profound. And I've certainly found it to be true in my own business, the people I coach. We don't need millions of followers. And trying to get that at the expense of the intimacy and the engagement that other platforms can give us and the reach of collaborative platforms, I'd like to see people spend more time trying to get, you know, trying to get podcast appearances or trying to get it featured in, in magazines that would appeal to their very specific audience. Um, I'd like to be, see people put their money where their mouth is in terms of word of mouth advertising. Everyone says word of mouth is the best and then they totally ignore it. 
I think, you know, going all in on word of mouth and personal relationships will get you much closer, not only to a thousand true fans, but a thousand true fans that will follow you to the ends of the earth because they love what you do and what you make for them. Yeah. Let's get really practical. What does it look like to actually build this audience on your own platform? And maybe we'll just speak specifically to email lists. And I'd sure. love to hear your thoughts on how to, how to create that, that audience over on email. Um, I'd like to hear from, we'll start with first, how do we move who we currently have on social? You know, you've got 10,000 followers on Instagram, you got a thousand people who, who follow your person, but whatever it is, right? How do we move those people over to your email list? Uh, that's probably the hardest thing. Um, you need to encourage them into spaces where you will be mentioning the invitation to go deeper with you. So, you know, if you have a podcast appearance, you got to make sure you talk about it. If you've got your own podcast, you need to make sure you talk about it and that they can find you. If you can say, hey, find me on my blog, um, they'll find you and you don't have to put in a specific URL. If you can, in gentler Facebook algorithm friendly language, get people over to what you're doing. Maybe there's a watermark on the little video that you produce um, that's built into the video that's, you know, you've got a URL there. Maybe that sneaks by Facebook's, you know, algorithm. I'm not sure. But there, any way that you can engage, I think Facebook groups are a great opportunity. If you're doing something like this, you can be talking and say, hey, I've got something for you. Go to this URL. There's a lot of ways other than typing in, hey, I've got a new thing for you. Go to this address. So it's, it's being creative about audio, about video, and, uh, and then again, getting onto these other collaborative platforms, um, just encouraging people to check out your new work on your site. And then they go there and you've designed it so they see very clearly. If you go to daviddusherman.com, top left, you will see an offer for a free downloadable resource. You can't miss it on mobile. That's the first thing you see, free downloadable resource. It's attractive looking. It's not just, hey, download my free crap. There's a reason. It's, you know, it's an ebook called 20 Ways to Stop Fucking Around and, you know, Make Better Photographs. And uh, anything that you can do to give them a sample of your work. So I have free ebooks. I have used uh on my blog there's also a spot that says hey if you know if it's more convenient for me to email these articles to you just tell me where to send them uh at the bottom of every blog post there's an invitation to share what i've created with others that might benefit from it there is an invitation to download my one of my free ebooks if you haven't seen it um there's there are so many opportunities using especially using the technology to say in some form I want to invite you to go deeper and experience more of what I make for you. Here's how. And then you use, uh, you know, MailChimp landing pages, you use leadpages.com and you create something where they go and they're like, it just says, you know, tell me where to send it. They put their email address in and immediately get whatever it is you've promised them. It could be an audio file. It could be a video file. It could be a PDF. It could be, you know, almost anything that's digitally deliverable that gives them that gift that, that, uh, you know, whether it's your, your art itself or whether it's knowledge, uh, whether it's an experience, who knows what it is that you're creating for them, but anything that you can do to get them into, uh, over to your website and then onto your mailing list. And then, and this is the, the big crime is that people have mailing lists and they underserve them. They don't have a great welcome email. They don't follow up with, you know, I do every two weeks on a Sunday, 
I send an email. My audience can set their clocks by it. And and it's it's stuff for them. It's not, hey, download my free crap. It's not just a yet another 25% off discount. It's it's solid stuff. And mm-hmm. so I get emails from people saying, I have been on yours is the only email I have I've been getting for like 15 years, and I still open it first thing I get because of the way it makes me feel. I get thank you letters like dozens a week for my emails. If you can get thank you letters for what you send to your audience and the way that you engage them and the gifts that you give them, uh, you can you can do really well on this. I, I love one of the things on your website, you know, talks about the abundance mentality. I am all in on abundance mentality. I think there is plenty of room for everyone out there. And the the struggles people have is not because, you know, all the market is flooded or whatever. It's because mm-hmm. you, you haven't owned your space in the, in the hearts of the people in your audience. You're just on yet another photographer. So I, I know that's, a, again, a very long answer to the question, but how there's so many ways, but functionally it's giving them a place to go to where they can ask you give you permission and ask you to send you more of what you do for them, whatever that is, send them more information, send, you know, give them knowledge, give them a certain feeling, Mm. um, you know, PDFs of, of your work. I, yes, certainly discounts. Um, some of it's just engagement. Some of it's like, I really, would you go here and let me know your opinions? What are you struggling with? Or what do you love about this? Or like I engage with my audience in a hundred different ways and it's a it has become a relationship and i know many of them i've never met them but you know i know many of them just simply by seeing their name because they've emailed me every now and then or left a blog comment or been on social for 15 years and it's that slow it's not an overnight thing it's not this is not how do i get a thousand people onto my list it's just like well one at a time <laughs> that's how you know one at a time create really great content that's not all about you serve a need and be very clear on the need that you serve and people will come to you. And I, it's just the right people, the right people will gather. You don't have to look for them. They will gather around your work because of how it makes them feel, what it gives them, how, uh, how it serves them, meets a need or a desire in some way for them. Hmm. You know, even as we're talking about this and the abundance mindset and how you don't need this huge list, you don't need, you know, the, yeah, whatever that number you've made up is, uh, you know, I know that, I just did a quick little search here. Uh, many photographers who are listening to this are wedding photographers. Um, mm-hmm. There's over 60 million couples who are getting married in the United States each year. Over 60 million. And you need, what, 20? <laughs> it's like how, many, like, how many people do you need to hire you a year uh, when, there's, when there's that many millions? And so... Um, so I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Uh, I want to go, I want to continue to say highly practical. Let's say someone's listening to this, like, okay, bro, I get it, David. Uh, so fine. I've got a bunch of people who I have their email address in a spreadsheet or, or who've signed up for something. I, um, you know, and I'm emailing them through Gmail. I just kind of like paste them all in there and, you know, so what about the tools, what about the tools that, that might be helpful um, for actually organizing these type of things where you where you can serve your audience well? When I say serve them well, I, I mean like when they come on, there's like an onboarding sequence. They get a, a certain email, then they get that dripped out email once every two weeks or whatever is on Sunday. How can I automate this stuff? What's the tool that I need to do this? What tool do you recommend for someone who's starting at zero, by the way? You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, I I mean, I can only recommend what I use, and I've used MailChimp for 15 years. Um, do I believe it's any better than ConvertKit or Constant Contact, um, AWeber? Like, there's there's lots of they're called ESPs, uh, email service providers, mm-hmm. and and the advantage, whichever one you pick, most of them have a free, uh, you know, a free tier. So up to a thousand people on Mailchimp, you get totally free. And I think there's a little bit of limitations to what you can do for them. I, I don't think you can, you know, schedule advanced posts and stuff like that. But um, you can't do this with a Gmail list and Excel spreadsheet. You just can't. You uh, you need to be first of all the any good ESP. They're going to have higher deliverable rates. They're going to have higher open rates just by the fact that their stuff is recognized by Gmail, et cetera, et cetera. Um, go, go with a proper, like do this. If you're going to do it, do it right. And uh, the, the beauty of something like MailChimp is once I've got multiple lists, uh, some people have one list and they use tags. I just, the disadvantage with that is um, let's say I have three different emails and someone says, ah, you know what? This one's not working for me anymore. They hit unsubscribe. If if they're just tagged, but on one big list, they're unsubscribed. They're like, they're gone, baby. But what if they just want to unsubscribe from that one email list, but they want to keep the other two? So that's why I use I use multiple lists. And the, the beauty of, of the whole thing is that you can, uh, it it's all happens in one place and you can automate it. So when I send you, if you go to, for example, at the end of our little chat together, I'm going to recommend that people go to theaudienceacademy.com. And I've set up a one-page uh, a one-page website that basically says creative people put their heart and soul into making their art. Why are they not putting it into their marketing? And um, I've made a life uh, and a living for 30-plus years building audiences. And I want to help others do the same. And so you go onto that site, and then at the end, there's an offer of a fairly short 10-page ebook called Encore, Three Ways to Stop Marketing and Start Building Audiences That Want More. And it's a free downloadable, just tell me where to send it. So it's integrated with MailChimp, which is why I bring all of this up, not merely as an advertisement for my thing, but they you put your ad, email address in, and you will immediately get an email that says, thank you so much, here's what I promised you, here's what's coming because the audience academy is a series of emails designed for creatives artists and makers who want to build audiences that want more of their stuff and uh, you can't do that with there is just i cannot imagine that the <laughs> the effort and energy and heartbreak that would occur to do that with an excel spreadsheet and emails mm-hmm. and you know ta- copy pasting things in that it just you, it's not sustainable you can automate this and you can automate it even further so that, for example, maybe I have three emails that follow that one uh, before it sort of knocks you into a just my latest content kind of sequence. Um, you can create that automation so that people, when they when they ask you to send them that thing, they immediately get the thing that you promised. There it is. They've read it. Maybe two days later, you want to check in with them and say, hey, you know, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got, but here's three things I didn't mention in that, in that particular PDF. Here's three more steps you might consider taking and you just keep giving. I believe that everything that you send, every email, every blog post, every social post has their The question for me is what's the gift? It doesn't have to be a free thing. That's not Mm -hmm. what I mean. I mean, are you giving them something? Are you giving them 
maybe it's just a laugh. Maybe it's a piece of knowledge. Maybe it's just the creative freedom to like loosen up a little bit. If you can't, if I can't answer that question, what's the gift? I go back to whatever it is I'm doing and I rewrite it because that's why people don't open emails because it's all take, take, take. It's all give me, give me, give me. It's, uh, you know, it's asking for things rather than giving. If you can make your emails a give rather than a take or an ask, people will start opening them. Of course, you have to have good subject lines, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, to go back to your, okay, okay, bro, like, how do I do this? Sign up for MailChimp, explore the possibilities or, or, you know, like do some research. Constant contact is one I hear a lot of people liking. Active campaign is another. Um, those probably are the, the three bigger ones. Add Aweber in there, but there's lots, there's lots I don't even know about. I chose MailChimp 15 years ago and that's what I use. Um, yeah. But sign up for an ESP and see what the possibilities are. They have wicked good test, uh, tutorials and help sections. Their support is fantastic. And so if you don't know how to do something, you just, you know, go into the help section, you figure it out. It's really easy. And soon you can be with, with one email, you can be talking to a thousand people, 20,000 people, a hundred thousand people. Um, at a certain point, it starts to get a little bit expensive, but look, if you're making, you know, seven figures or high six figures, or even, you know, just six figures, and they're asking you to pay a couple hundred bucks a month, a month for, you know, the privilege of sending these emails, that's killer ROI compared to all that time you spend on Facebook and 4% of your audience sees it, you know, and then they can't, they, they, you know, you functionally can't, if you try to put a link in there, then it's even less of those people. Mm-hmm. It just makes sense to me that you would want to engage your, we fight so hard to get people to pay attention to us and to give us a hearing and to let us into their lives. You may as well do it in a way that has not only practically the highest ROI, but the highest engagement, like the highest, like, you know, I'm, I'm all about whether it's high t- tech or low tech, I'm all about high touch. Like if it's not, if it's not high touch, if it's not um, really engaging, if it's not connective in a really human way, I'm just not interested in it because yeah. I only have so many hours in a day and people only respond to what moves them. And you've, that's, that's a task, right? Moving the hearts and imaginations of people. That's tough work. <laughs> it is. I'm a, anytime I'm listening to, um, uh, to the thoughts, the ideas, the wisdom that someone's sharing like yourself, I'm also putting myself in the shoes of a listener and I'm, I'm, I'm in their shoes right now. And the objections are flying, David. Sure. And, and one of the biggest objections that I, that I make up someone may be having is like, okay, great. Yeah. An email every two weeks. That's, that's content. I, I mean, man, how do I put together like what these uh, emails are going to be about? How do I generate that content? And, and I, as I was thinking about them, I wanted to share a quick uh, just thought for anyone who's listening of a, a way to just to go back into repurpose uh, content that you've already made, because if you haven't built an audience on email, you, you've probably spent some time building it somewhere. You've probably built it on social. And so maybe you have a number of Instagram posts that you've belabored over the caption, right? It's like you put up that one picture and then you're like, oh, I got to come up with this like whole caption thing. And um, that could become the core of an email. Now, maybe maybe you're really good at your captions and it really is just like a copy paste, that's my email. But but maybe it's the core of it that you could you could build an email around and um, and if you were to just to go back through your feed and uh, maybe there's a ton of ideas, a ton of content there that you can bring right into an email campaign that can begin to lessen the burden 
that we're kind of um, building up. Uh, we're trying like we're like catastrophizing the whole thing. We're like, well, hold on, let's not let's not catastrophize it too much. I think there is opportunity here for you to reuse what you have, um, David. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and the idea of actually content creation. Um, if you have any other, uh, tips on, on how to come up with what to say to your audience. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. And first, let me say this, the, the chief enemy of, of all of this is, is getting overwhelmed. The minute you're overwhelmed, you're like, uh, to hell with it. I'm, I just, I can't, I can't. And, and I totally get that. Uh, of course, you know, me, me quitting social media six months ago, gave me all kinds of time, you know, like that widened my margins considerably. Um, you're absolutely right. You go back into your old stuff, see what people responded to. You can add to it. You can you can rejig it a little bit. Uh, but remember, it this does not. I'm not talking about like writing friggin' War and Peace every single you know two <laughs> weeks and sending them out like this. I do longer form stuff. However, uh, my way doesn't have to be your way. You could be sending them one photograph and just putting a short story behind it, saying you know. This is like, let's say you're a wildlife photographer and you're building an audience. It could be the, you know, the print of the, the month. It could just be a beautiful photograph and the story behind the making of that or uh, uh, in interesting stuff about the, the bear that's in this particular print of the month. Um, you could do behind the scenes stuff. You could, there's a guy I subscribe to. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits. His name is James Clear, jamesclear.com. He has an email that I get every week. It's called his 321 email. It's got a massive following. And it's three ideas, two, uh, see if I get this right, two questions and one uh, quote. Hmm. That's it. It's not long. Um, and most of the ideas are things that he's pulled from his book, Atomic Habits. They're little reminders. There's a, a, a couple questions and then a quote from, you know, someone, you know, Steve Jobs said this. Great. Uh, then on the other side of things, there's like Maria Popova, who has a, a newsletter and a website called brainpickings.org. That's massive. Like you got to put, put, put on the coffee and, you know, schedule uh, an hour to read her emails. Um, I subscribe to one by a cartoonist called The, uh, the Oatmeal. And uh, he does these goofy cartoons, but, but he also, you know, makes card games. He has a card game called Exploding Kittens. Um, He's a real character, and all his is is basically it's I made I made this for you. He's like, or, or I think it's just his email starts with I posted something, and mm -hmm. it's not quite as regular, but he has a bit of a drawing that's also on the blog. And really, all he's doing is saying, "Hey, I made something for you. It's on the blog. Check it out." I, I love that. I, it's just it's short, it's sweet, and it it keeps us engaged. And then I go over to his blog and I read the content, and you know. Um, so it, there are a lot of ways to do this in a way that is not totally overwhelming. The other thing I suggest is make this a priority, like uh, schedule this. It's not overwhelming for me anymore because I look at my schedule. I'm like, Oh, from nine to 10 this morning, I'm, I'm writing my, I'm writing my, my contact sheet email. Um, mm -hmm. tomorrow I will be writing my audience Academy email. I've got it scheduled. It's, it's a couple of weeks before I'm going to send. So I have lots of time to kind of catch my breath and, edit it and check it and test it and not freak out like, oh my God, it's it's going out tomorrow. No, 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 it's going out in two weeks. I got lots of time. If anything happens, you know, I've got a couple in reserve. Uh, and the other thing I do is I make a list. 26 emails will take me, if I only do one every two weeks, 26 emails, 
will take me through the year. And I sit down with a glass of wine or some whiskey or whatever it's going to take. And I make a list of all the possible potential blog posts slash articles. Cause I also post what I write in email. I post it to my blog so that the SEO, you know, is there. Um, and the engagement from inbound traffic is there. I just write 26 ideas. And then now I've got my marching orders. I've got it on the calendar. I've got my list. I sit down on Wednesday morning and I go, okay. And I look at my list, you know, and I, and sometimes it, it doesn't gel and I pick something else. Sometimes I've got a fresh new idea and that's fine, but I've always got that list and it, it makes it easy. The other thing, final thing I would recommend is subscribe to a, a a couple dozen email lists, like look at, see what other people are doing because they'll give you the kind of the permission to, if you want to post long, they'll give you that. Some of them will. Maria Popova will give you permission to write a whole novel every email. And James Clear will give you permission to just send something short. And then you go, okay, that's really more my style. I like that. And this one, that just scares me. I can't even open it. Well, mm -hmm. now you're a little closer just feeling like, okay, because it's got to be yours. If it's not yours, if it doesn't feel like you're a little bit excited to get up and like send this to your audience. It's not going to come through in your email. It's just going to be a marketing thing. It's going to be slick and corporate. And that's the last thing you want. Email is an intimate medium. You need to send stuff that connects. That's like, hmm. I made this for you. Not, hey, you guys, because that one person opening it isn't your whole audience. It's that one person. You got to speak to them. Yeah. That's a lot of ideas, but it really, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. So if you feel like you're overwhelmed and you're like, I don't have time for this, cut back on social a bit and mm -hmm. invest in something that's got a stronger ROI. I'm not down on social. You will make your own decisions, but it does not for most of us have the kind of ROI that email or a blog or something that happens on your own uh, platform. And, and if you're cutting back on social, take some of that time and put it into finding magazines, podcasts, collaborative platforms that you can be a part of so that other people can, you know, it's like being the opening act, right? You're, you don't have the audience that U2 does, but I guarantee if you open for U2, some of that audience will become yours. And that's the idea behind, you know, getting on someone else's podcast or writing a guest blog post or being featured in a magazine. That's the hard work. That's like, okay, again, you make a list and then you contact these people and there's, there's legwork that goes into it, but if you're going to put the effort in anyway, you may as well do it in something that's got a stronger ROI and is higher on the high touch, high, um, high tech, high touch scale than high tech, low touch, which is just a lot of work for nothing. Yeah. It's awesome. David, thank you for this conversation. It's a, you know, some people will be like all in on this and some people will be like, no, don't agree. And I love that we're having a conversation totally. and introducing uh, a new thing. I, I will say this. I, I agree with getting your audience. I mean, when I say agree with, I agree with a lot, but like 100% full send, own your audience. Don't build your empire on borrowed ground. Don't build it over there. Um, and so thank you, David, for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. Insight. You're welcome. Where yeah. can people get on your email list? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Well, I mean, you asked earlier about, you know, this exact thing. Uh, here's what I encourage people to do. Make a, make things available on your website, et cetera, et cetera. But when people ask that exact question, you don't want to say, okay, so here's what you want to do. You want to go to daviddushman.com backslash uh, this thing and then that. And then you want to scroll to the bottom of the page and then you want to, because people are like, you've, you've lost them. My primary email address is my contact sheet and it's called the contact sheet. And you go to mycontactsheet.com and 
there are testimonials about why it's a good con uh, a good email newsletter. I never call it a newsletter. Nobody wants another newsletter. Um, and a compelling reason, like it says, this is what this is about. Here's how to subscribe. And there's a couple spots to you know tell me where to send it. If you're interested in the whole audience thing and how to build an audience, um, I'm sending out uh, every two weeks also uh, an email called the Audience Academy. And you go to theaudienceacademy.com and it will give you more information about that, give you a chance to get a, a free resource, but you know, three ideas to build your audience and uh, a place to, you know, to sign up for my email. Awesome. So that would be the best place, but you can go to daviddusherman.com if you want to see my work and, uh, you know, read some of my articles. Um, you can find my books on Amazon um, or craftindivision.com is where I sell a lot of my digital resources for, for photographers. They're, they're really more for photographers that are learning the craft rather than people that have got to a certain level of proficiency and are now, um, wanting to engage that audience i think kind of one needs to precede the other um but that's kind of those are the main places where i'm available online it's awesome thank you so much david appreciate your my time, pleasure thank you uh and your knowledge uh yeah until we until we converse again my friend thank you let's do it for sure podcast listeners thank you so much for tuning in to hear what david had to share about owning your audience building your audience outside of this platform i hope there were some really big takeaways uh, man, we didn't need, there's so many other benefits. It's like you just, <laughs> there's this, you have, especially if you've got a, like, like, man, portrait photographers, 100% be doing this. Like if you've got a reoccurring client system that you could just reach back out. Sorry, I'm about to go off on another rant about things. Um, listen, actually, I want to invite you guys. One of the things that, um, that I'm currently doing right now uh, is I'm hosting a five-day challenge. Just a quick little uh, shift here before we wrap up. I'm hosting a five-day challenge uh, for the photography community. And what this five-day challenge is, is it's going to be five days of five scripts. Each day, I'm going to give you a new script that you can inject in your business to help you book more clients. And so I'd love to have you come and be a part of that challenge uh, with me and my community. The, uh, the five scripts that we're going to be, um, not just, I'm just going to give it to you, but I'm also going to explain what's going on what are the rules of influence and psychology and persuasion that's going on that's causing a, an emotional response, an actual click response from your client to increase your bookings? And so um, the five days are going to be a, a DM script uh, when contacting people when you're prospecting, a text message script, an initial email script when someone contacts you at New Lead, uh, a vendor partnership building, uh, uh, like a vendor relationship building script when you're reaching out to create a new partnership with a new vendor. And then the last one is going to be a phone script. Uh, and so you can join that challenge with me by going to benhartley.com forward slash challenge. Easy enough. Benhartley.com forward slash challenge. would love to have you there. Uh, you guys, thank you so much again for being here today. Uh, excited to have you on the next episode of the podcast or to see you over in the community. Until then, cheers, everybody. Bye.